What we're going to do for our final session together is we're we are going to talk about communication, um, but I want us to, to, to really nail down on this. When, when we say communication, what we're really talking about is connection. Um, because we communicate all day, every day. 80% um, of communication is nonverbal, so body language, facial expressions, all of those things matter. Um, but we communicate all of the time, everywhere we go with everybody that we're around. And again, if we're going to look at our, our spouse as our number one other, our number one neighbor, you know, through the lens of Scripture, um, we're going to communicate with them for the rest of our lives. For those who have been married for one year, you know, we've already told you this morning, you get to say, I'm sorry, I've never been married before. I've never been married one year before. I've never lived with somebody for one year. When you're 22 years in, you get to say the same thing. I'm sorry, I've never been married for 22 years before. I've never shared a home with the same person for 22 years um, and all of those things. And um, the question was asked last night as we were wrapping up our time together. So when Jackie told me that she was suicidal and had a plan, what did I do? What did I say? And we shared with you last night, um, I did the wrong thing because I said nothing. Now, I can tell you on this side of it, the why, um, I was afraid of saying the wrong thing. I was afraid of saying something that might push her closer to the edge. Um, and in being so scared to do or say the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing by saying nothing. And Jackie shared last night, you know, she went to sleep that night um, with tears in her eyes, thinking exactly what she thought was the reason she wouldn't tell me, it'll be too much for him to handle. He won't be able to deal with it. He's the nicest guy that I know. I'm going to crush him. Um, what she didn't tell you is my parents were divorced when I was in second grade. Uh, my dad left my mom, me and my sister, on my sister's ninth birthday during her birthday party. So there's like 20 people at, at our home, my sister's, you know, best friends when you're nine years old. And again, I, we, we still don't know why my dad chose that day of all days. Um, I mean, I think the devil was at work, to be honest with you, because in the middle of her birthday party, uh, he walks up to my mom, hands her an envelope, and walks out the front door. Well, my mom knew something's not right. That's awkward. So she quickly opens it, but she follows him out the front door as well as she's trying to get this envelope open and read this letter that basically my version of the letter is, hey, you and the kids are holding me back. I'm going to chase my dreams. Um, I can't be held down to one woman for the rest of my life. Uh, so I'm out of here. That's my version of the letter. And uh, so my dad drove away, and he did come back one time after that. So they were separated during that time, came back, left again, and they ended up, they did end up getting divorced. So as a little boy in second grade, living through that, um, again, because of time, I, I won't go into all of it, but um, there's abandonment issues, right? Like my mom and dad are supposed to be there forever, and dad left. And dad didn't leave because I did anything wrong or my sister did anything wrong or my mom did anything wrong. My dad left because of selfish reasons. Um, so like my whole uh, life growing up, my dad would, would say, you know, I'll be at the t-ball game, never showed up. I'll be at the Little League game, never showed up. I'll be at the basketball game, never showed up. I'll be at your football game. Uh, I think James has heard me say before, I can remember a football game where uh, we went to Shiloh, so we're, we're 
Shiloh was playing P Ridge, and my dad was like, I will be at that game. I will, you will see me in the stands. And I remember, and it sounds silly as a 44-year-old man standing here before you tell him, but I remember being at that P Ridge game, being on the sideline and continually like looking, you know, and of course he never showed. So you carry that into your dating life. Um, you know, the girl that I was going to marry in fifth grade and seventh grade and ninth grade and 11th grade, and then I finally win her over. And your number one fear, and of course the answer is give all of those things to Jesus, cast all your cares on him. But I don't know that in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, you even, I don't know that at 44 you totally understand that. So my biggest fear was abandonment. And so when my wife says to me, I'm suicidal and I have a plan and I don't see any other way out, in my mind I became that second grade little boy whose dad is driving away. And at least with my dad, I had every other weekend, every other holiday, I could hunt and fish with him. There was still a relationship, even though he wasn't in the home. With, with suicide, it's, it's, oh, there is no coming back. And so Jackie didn't, in that moment, realize what she had done, and she didn't do anything wrong, but she triggered something inside of me. But I also didn't realize that in me saying nothing, I triggered something inside of her. Why don't you tell them what I triggered by not saying anything? Yeah, so, um, so I grew up in a home. Um, mom was a believer. Dad was not. But mom had a lot of emotional issues, a lot of um, mental health stuff. She was abused as a child, and so she did her best to work on the things that she could, but there was a lot of things that we had to deal with because of her journey through healing and um but one of those things was she couldn't handle conflict, and so she, if I upset her when I was a little girl, she would lock herself in her room, um, and she wouldn't come out until um, she was ready. And then when she was ready, she would come out, but we, she would, like, put her hand up, like, I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm, like, dying to, to, to say sorry or just, like, make this right. And she's like, I already dealt with it. I don't want to talk about it. And so I grew up in a home where love was very conditional. It was based off of our behavior, based off of a making her happy and, um, and I don't blame her. I, um, I have, you know, empathy for her and her journey. And I'm proud of, of how she continues to try to, to walk toward Jesus and that. But it left me um, in a place where when my husband says nothing, so now there's, you can just imagine us not even as adults, but as two, like children, two, two children in this bed together. He's, you know, afraid of his dad leaving. And I feel like my mom just locked herself in her room and I'm never going to get, you know, resolution. No closure. And that's what this is really about a lot of times is um, you partner with someone who, who you're vulnerable with, who knows you better than anybody else, and they trigger all of these things that you don't even know is there sometimes. And so, um, so one thing that we've learned is that there's a, there's a beauty in the relationship in marriage because we can heal each other's hearts in those spaces. As I know this about Keith now at a d deeper level, um, because Jackie before Jesus would use that against him because I knew he was never leaving me, but I could use that to be selfish. I've always, I've always told her, if you leave, I'm going with you. Uh, and that's, I mean, I've just been committed to that. If you leave, I'm going with you. And she's like, and going home, was not an option, so it's helped us to stay. Yeah, I'm not going back to my parents. Yeah, it's helped us to I'd stay. I'd go to his parents' house if I left him, and so then he <laughs> But I'm going to be there. I'm going there, so too. We're so we're sort of stuck. Like, 
But, um, but I selfishly, I could use that against him because I know he's not going anywhere. So I, get to, I can have my way. I can manipulate. And I can be super selfish knowing that that is hurting, not realizing it's hurting him, but knowing he's not leaving me. And so, um, but because I want to help him look more like Jesus, and, and the last thing I ever want to do is, is trigger or push that button that makes him go back there, um, I can lean into that space for him. So um, I can make sure I never do or say anything that would make him think that. I can speak words that reassure that part of him. And then one thing that he does for me since that time is um, he never just not says nothing um, because he knows what that does to me. And so and, and so I recognize when he leans in and says, I don't, I don't, know, if this is, I don't know what to say. Can we maybe talk about this tomorrow? Um, I know it's important. I just don't know. I need to process. So I know that's, a, that's really big for him. And so he's, he's kind of leaned in, and it heals your heart in a way that only a marriage can do when you do life together like that. Yeah, so, I mean, just trying to give you some action points. You know, this morning we, we talked through some prayer stuff. I mean, so now, if, you know, if you're writing stuff down, you might write down the phrase, hey, I don't know what to say. Can we talk about this tomorrow? Or I don't know what to say. Can we talk about it tonight? And it's not a cop out. It, it's it's letting the other person know I'm willing to engage in this tough conversation. I'm willing to engage in this possible conflict. Um, but my goal is to connect. The goal is connection. So. Um, if it's a real big deal and Jackie were to bring it up at lunch on a Monday, I might say, can we talk at this? Can we talk about this at lunch tomorrow? I tell the guys, I just bought myself 24 hours, <laughs> you know, so I feel good about that. But I, there is no out at that point. Tomorrow, Tuesday at lunch, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk. Um, and she's, I can't then say, uh, this is a lot. Can we talk tomorrow at lunch? Um, she gave me 24 hours. If it's not quite as big of a deal, uh, lunch on Monday, I may say, hey, after we put Miles to bed tonight, can we talk about it? Um, and again, you know, I just bought myself eight hours to give me some time. And it's not about buying time, but I'm using that word to, so I can maybe, maybe I call James. Seriously, I mean, maybe I call a friend and go, hey, here's what's going on. Any words of wisdom for me? Um, maybe I call my grandfather. Maybe I call just a friend. Um, maybe I just go to the Lord in prayer and do the, some of the stuff we talked about earlier. Give it to him. Pray for forgiveness. Pray uh, for wisdom. And, and But I have to be ready to engage when, when we come back together. Um, in most relationships, there's a pursuer and a withdrawer. And most of you are already knowing, like, this is who I am. Maybe you're the person who shuts down when things get hard. That's me. And, and part of it's just because you need to process. And I'm so, the guy in the video. <laughs> yeah. Say so, nothing. Say nothing. And so then some of you are like, you know, you need to use your words. Or you have, a, you have my personality, which is um, if you've ever done the anagram, it's a one. And people don't really like us very well because we are typically right. <laughs> and then we want you to know we're right. And we do things very well because we overthink everything. And so, um, and so one thing that helped me want to kind of work on this part of our relationship was knowing that there's a verse in James that talks about that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And when I got the picture in my head of when we're going at it and I'm, you know, I need, I don't want you to say sorry without us getting to fight because I need to use my words up. But I also mm -hmm. want you to know why I'm right so that you can say, boy, you were right the whole time. Like, 
And so um, I need to tell you I'm right. I want you to show you I'm right. I want you to prove, and I want to convince you, and then I'm going to feel good about that. Well, when I take that posture of when, when, a, when a disagreement or a conflict turns into me now, me, I have a point to prove, um, that verse says that God takes, takes position with the humble, which is always Keith, um, and opposes me. So now it's not me against Keith anymore. It's me against God, and I've now lost. And so that word picture, when I take that posture, which is part of my disposition, which God gives you a personality that's, that's for you to serve a purpose, but sin has a way to fracture that and make a strength a weakness if you're not careful. So when I take that posture, I literally imagine, oh, man, this, I'm not going to win this. And so that helps me to keep myself in check. Yeah, it's just good to remember that God is the undefeated champion of the world. I mean, he's never lost. He's not going to lose. So to, to make a willing decision to go against him is a ridiculous decision. And he tells us in James 4, 6, exactly what Jackie's saying. God opposes, opposes. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want grace. I need grace. Um, so it's not something that you can fake. You can't fake humility, but you can pray for it every day, and you can seek it, um, and you can go after it knowing that that puts God on. Nah, it doesn't put God on your side. It puts you on God's side. Um, and so I kind of, again, thinking of some of the stuff that Lisa and Francis Chan say in you know, that book, uh, You and Me Forever, I shared, yes, about out-serving one another. Um, you know, it's like out-humbling one another. You know, who can get lower? Can the husband get lower or can the wife get lower uh, to stay low and pursue a posture of humility? But again, remember, the, the goal is not winning the, in communication or being right, specifically in conflict, but the goal is connection. The goal is connection. I'm going to share with you some different kind of um, communication styles or just communication words that we use. Uh, the one that we use all of the time throughout the day is chit-chat, just chit-chat. Uh, it's not very deep. It doesn't mean a whole lot. How are you? Good. How are you? Fine. Hey, look at the snow. Oh, look, the flakes are getting bigger out there. Yeah. Oh, look, it's starting to stay on the ground a little bit. Hey, I hope the roads don't get slick. Yeah, aren't you guys flying out tomorrow? Yeah, we fly out tomorrow afternoon after church. Man, hope everything's good at the airport. I mean, that's just chit-chat. Doesn't go very deep. Oh, I heard you like to hunt. I heard you like to fish. Yeah, I try to do it as much as I can. Oh, really? What, what do you like to fish for? Anything that'll bite. You know, I mean, chit-chat, right? We all know how to do that. And we do that with our spouse a lot, too. Um, how was your day? Great. How was your day? Great. Anything big happen? Uh, and when, when we're sitting at dinner and Jackie will say, tell me uh, the best thing that happened today. I don't know, I got paid, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what, what's the worst thing that happened today? Uh, I spent it all. Uh, sometimes it's hard, you know, but they're, they're trying to connect. They're trying to have a deeper conversation than just, oh, look, the snow, uh, or it's raining outside, or I hope it warms up soon. Uh, so chit-chat is one of the things that we do a lot. Then you've got casual conversation, which is a whole lot like chit-chat, but maybe just a little bit deeper. So how was your breakout? Good. Did you learn anything? Yep, I learned that my spouse's uh, love language is physical touch. I already knew that. <laughs> you know, I, but it's a little bit deeper than just chit-chat. There could be a connection uh, on that. You could go a little bit deeper in the connection level with that. But then there's confrontation and conflict, which is kind of what we're, we're talking about because most of us don't need a whole lot of coaching when it comes to chit-chat 
or casual conversation, but we need some coaching on the confrontation and the conflict, which is where the whole, hey, I want to have this conversation. And, I, and what you're saying, we, we have to have conclusion on, um, but can, can I have a little bit of time here? Um, when you think about Ephesians chapter 5, we talked about um, husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church. If we're doing that, I can promise you we're connecting. If we're loving our wives like Christ loved the church, a perfect love, um, think about 1 Corinthians 13, all of those things, patient, kind, gentle, um, and we're not doing the things that says love is not. I mean, you're, you're connecting. Um, but men say all of the time, um, I would die for my wife. You know, I would literally die. And I've heard Jackie ask some of those same men, would you give up hunting for her? Whoa. Well, you just said you would die for her. Would you give up golf for her? That's asking too much. I say, I don't even want to say fishing because that's like my number one hobby. So I don't even want to go there. But I would die for her. I don't know that I would give up fishing for her, but I would die for her. So what we're describing is when, you're, when your actions don't line up with your words. And we do that a lot in communication. We use a lot of words and we say a lot of things. But what our spouse wants to see is that our actions, I mean, it's great to know that your spouse would be willing to die for you, but it doesn't mean a whole lot if they've said, can we spend Friday together? I'd really like for us to go, I don't know what's around here, so I'll have to use like an example. From, about an hour from where we live is a, a little town called Eureka Springs. Uh, it's just a place to just go and hang out, and there's some neat restaurants and places there and some shopping. Um, but if Jackie asks me that three, four, five weeks in a row, and I'm like, listen, you know on Fridays I go fishing. You know that's what I do. You knew that's what I did when we got married. We'll go to Eureka on another day. So the next time I say I would be willing to die for my wife, she's thinking, no, he wouldn't. He won't even give up four hours on a Friday morning to take me to Eureka. I've begged him to take me. But if it's just going in one ear and out the other, we miss. And those are big, big misses. Yeah, there's some seasons in your marriage that may require you to to make some sacrifices that are big to re to invest in your marriage or to help you get each get through. A, what are you doing? Well, this is really odd. Um, <laughs> so sorry. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so, but there's there are certain times where you have to make a sacrifice, and that sacrifice is I'm going to set these golf clubs down for the next six months because we're we're in a hard season right now, and we need to reinvest and make sure that we're okay. Um, and that's a that sometimes can feel like a bigger sacrifice than just taking a bullet. Um, and so we need to be willing to to give up certain things, both of us on. There, especially during different seasons, like when we're in a good place, man, you go fishing. I actually don't want you home. <laughs> she all the wants time. me gone on Fridays. Yeah, and so, um, but but I also know it's part of how it relaxes him, and so I want to help him in that space where I know this helps him um, decompress. It helps him with his stress level, and I want to support him with that. Your point. I yeah, see. Now they're starting to be like, yeah, you listen to this boy. Y'all yeah. need to step closer so you can <laughs> yeah. discreetly nudge. The, but doing this yeah. is not discreet at the, all, pastor's wife. <laughs> some of us were talking about earlier, too, about another way, you know, some men like to decompress by, you know, riding the lawnmower, pushing the, you know, whatever, doing yard work. So, like, on my Fridays during, like, the summer months is fish in the morning, 
mow the lawn in the afternoon. And I mean, that is a great Friday for me. After being at the church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, meeting with couples, we try not to meet with couples uh, on Fridays or Saturdays, if at all possible. Um, sometimes we have to, but we try to leave those two days open. And uh, I mean, those are just great, great days. But what I went back there and got permission from Les to share with you is on this whole idea of I'd be willing to, to die for my spouse. And we just use the, the word hobbies. But here's another one that may, that may work better for some of the men and women in the room. Would you be willing to give up the promotion at work for your marriage? Because Les and I were talking last night just about his business career in life and my sister and her husband and, and some business decisions that they've made. And my sister and her husband are about to move to Raleigh. And so we were connecting on that level as well. And, and Les just shared with me last night that, that he made some willing choices to, to miss out on some promotion opportunities uh, throughout his career that could, have, that could have put him up in the in pay level and uh, success level and uh, what people think about you. Um, and so I went back there and just before I just threw his name out there and did that, I wanted his permission to do that. But would we be willing to do that? I mean, it's one thing to put the golf clubs down for a few days or the fishing rods down for a few days or the bows, but would we, would we be willing to say no to a promotion at work that means more money, uh, more prestige was the word I was looking for, because we know it's not what's best for our marriage in this season or it's not what's best for our children in this season. Not that you're going to say no forever. You're like, it's no for now. Um, and that may be a better example for some of us in the room because there's, there's probably people who are like, I don't hunt, I don't fish, I don't golf work is my life okay would you be willing to give up salary so that you can spend more time at home more time with your spouse knowing that and it that's not just at the men I mean um, we have several friends now it's just a different day 2019 we actually have friends of ours close friends of ours and the husbands are stay-at-home dads um, they're married to their wife is a heart surgeon so one guy was a plumber when he got married, and he was like, so we, that's not very important compared to what she does. And he's like, but we, we want, one of us wants to be home with the kids when they're, you know, one and two and three and four and five years old. So we actually have some friends that are, you know, kind of in some ways role, traditional role reversal, um, but willing to, would you stop your career and be a stay-at-home dad if that's what was best for the family? Um, and that's really the Ephesians 5 is not die for. Most of us will never have to die for our spouse. Most of us won't have to. Um, but we might have to be willing to give up some things for our spouse, especially when we're remembering connection is the goal and humility is the goal. Jackie, talk to us about heart guard. It's, it's one of the things that we usually share during the prayer uh, talk, but we intentionally left that off so that we could share it now. But another thing that we pray uh, is called heart guard. Yeah, and this is something that we do when we are having conflict or we, I call it a bump, you know, when your spouse does or says something that kind of is like, oh, it hits you in a weird way. Um, what I've learned to do is pay attention to that. Why does that hit me like that? Or why does that sting like that? And it's usually because there's something attached to it. It, it means something on a deeper level. But, um, but this idea of heart guard, you know, if we're pursuing um, our walk with Jesus, and we're trying to help our spouse look, you know, look like Jesus also, then we have to use the Holy Spirit to help us know what conflicts to engage in and what conflicts to let him take care of. And that's not easy. Some of these things like guarding your heart, 
Um, it's a very abstract idea, but how do you put feet to that? And this is how you do that. And Keith would say, I don't have to do heart guard very much because Jackie's perfect. That's not true. Denial. Remember, as always, you need to have that perspective. Um, but I have to do this a lot. And part of it's because I overthink everything and I analyze everything and I'm a details person. And so, um, so the first part of heart guard is release. And what that looks like is there's a, a verse in the Bible that talks about casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Well, that's really great, but how do you do that? And this is how you do that. You, um, as soon as this one flesh breaks, this, the, the spirit in both of us, we're just kind of like, mm, not getting it right now. As soon as you can um, get along with the Lord and you start identifying those feelings and giving them to Jesus. So I'm so frustrated with Keith. I give you my frustration. I'm aggravated with him. And, and this is hard for some people. Like If you're like me, I was allowed to feel um, angry at home. That was safe. And I could feel neutral. And I could be happy. But the in the in between emotions, I wasn't really it wasn't safe for me to feel those because my mom didn't know what to do with some of those because the, she struggled with those. So I had to work really hard at identifying like it was either happy or angry. Like I was no in between. And so depending on if you were given any kind of emotional training and you're growing up, you may be like that. So having to really identify like what is it that's making me so upset with him? I'm disappointed or um, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I, um, you know, whatever you're feeling. And then I stop and ask the Lord to search my heart. Is there anything in me that I need to deal with that has to do with this, that has to do with me feeling that way? And then I, I let God speak into my life in that space, and then I speak forgiveness. I use those exact same words that I release to God, and I speak forgiveness, even though I'm not there yet. I purposely, intentionally, I forgive Keith for, you know, frustrating me. I forgive Keith for saying that, um, that way with that tone or, um, and I, so I posture myself for forgiveness. And usually when I do heart guard, um, I would say I only have to bring about 10% of my stuff to him because it's usually all that I needed to get it off of me and let Jesus carry it and then I don't need to really bring anything to him. Yeah, because remember, God is good, God is faithful, and you can trust him. So if those things are true about him in all circumstances, then they're true about him in this circumstance. He's big enough, he's strong enough, he's good enough, he's faithful enough, and you can trust him with those things that you're giving him. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another one there to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can uh, overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And Jackie and I've used some words this weekend with you all uh, about like the mingling of souls and if you're married to a non-believer that unequally yoked um, the Holy Spirit in one is longing can, to connect with the Holy Spirit in the other. Um, this is just a way that we kind of wrap our minds around it that you have the Holy Spirit living in Keith, the Holy Spirit living in Jackie and then the Holy Spirit, I mean 
all the same, obviously, but the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you take those three and the mingling of souls, which we believe is what happens when you become one flesh, um, man, you can let a whole lot of stuff go. Not because of you, not because of what you bring to the table, not because of your power, uh, not because of your discipline, but because of the Holy Spirit in you. Allowing, I mean, what Jackie just described about forgiving your spouse before they ever even ask you to, before you've even had a chance to tell them how bad they've ticked you off, I mean, that's a God thing. We use words like that. That's a God thing. And that's because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that even empowers you to be able to do that. Because in the flesh, we want to get it out there. When you said this, it made me feel like this. When you did this, it made me feel like this. And there's a place for that, but not until I sift it through God and his character and his word to get my heart to where that's easily received. Absolutely. Um, so then this idea of the Holy Spirit fighting for you. Um, Exodus 14, 14. Um, this idea of us being still, us being quiet, us not having to say anything, knowing that the Holy Spirit fights for us. Maybe you you caught some of the language that, that I was using last night in the first um, session about God loves you more than you love you. God wants what's best for you more than you want what's best for you. God knows the best career path for you more than you know the best career path for you. Um, God knew that we needed to adopt before we knew that we needed to adopt. We really didn't think we needed to adopt. We were going to be totally fine, just Keith, Jackie, and Alex living in um, Orlando, Florida, um, having a magical day <laughs> at Disney World, uh, just every day the happiest place on earth, right? And God begins to stir in us about something so much bigger than Disney World and so much bigger than us being happy. Um, and calling us to adopt. Now, we thought that that was, we knew that it was a God thing, but we didn't realize the bigger purpose, what God needed to do in us that he would only be able to do if we adopt this little boy. And again, she told you, we check no on special needs. I mean, the paperwork is this thick, y'all. For those in the room who have adopted or you've had a close friend or family member has, I mean, it's a big deal. It's, it takes forever, it's a lot of money, and it's a lot of paperwork. And uh, more than once, we checked on that paperwork, no, to special needs, because it asks over and over again, would you consider adopting a special needs child? And at what level of special needs? And, and we checked no, but I tell people, I really believe God has an eraser, and uh, he erased what we put, because he knows what we need more than we know what we need, and he knew that we couldn't become the people he needed us to become. Without people that. used to always say, oh, God knew what he was doing when he gave Miles to y'all. Miles is so lucky. I was like, oh, yeah, he hates us. That's what he's doing. <laughs> like, it's not question. Yeah. Like, you know, it's yeah. pretty clear. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that we have to remember with our marriage is this serves even a bigger purpose, which um, just making us look like Jesus. But it's a picture of Christ's love to the world. And so the way that we love each other and interact with each other and serve and sacrifice, mm -hmm. we're displaying that is who Jesus is to the world. And so you need to ask yourself, what is my marriage communicating about Jesus to the world? Because it's communicating something. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Christian, you're telling the world, this is what Jesus is like. Um, and so that's a very scary picture if we're not careful. Um, just like your parenting displays the character of God to your children. Are you displaying the, the correct character? Is it an accurate picture of him? And so um, for me, I had to discover that for myself 
But not all of our children are going to come to a point where they're going to sift through God's word and fight for their own faith. And so um, for us, we have to remember, like, we're on this earth to show the world who Jesus is and how, how when he um, came into our life and our story, how he changed us. And First Peter talks about this. It talks about, it's talking about, you know, when, when white women were getting saved and their husbands were still lost. And so it was saying, don't adorn yourself with, you know, jewelry and makeup and fine clothes. And it's not saying those things are wrong. It's saying that's not how you win the heart of your husband, by looking a certain way. If you want to win the heart of your husband, then you, you quiet your mouth and you show him that the gospel has changed me in every way. This gospel, this Jesus has changed me to where I want to give you respect even when you don't deserve it, especially when you don't deserve it. And what I've learned about my husband is, is when I give him respect when he doesn't deserve it, it makes him want to earn it because he, he knows I don't deserve you to treat me this good. And so if we as women want to win the heart of our husbands, then, then we need to, to quiet our mouths so the Holy Spirit can be heard. And we need, to, um, we need to show him that the word of God and Jesus has changed us to where we can love them even when they're not lovable. And that's actually a thing that you can reverse to your wife. Yeah, and again, just thinking through your story, your testimony, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but um, after my dad left um, and my parents got divorced, um, that was when I was, I think, seven um, by the time I was 12, I was doubting my salvation pretty, pretty heavily. And I doubted my salvation from the time I was 12 until I was 16. Now, when I say doubted my salvation, I need to give some context. Um, every Sunday morning when my pastor would give an invitation, I felt like I needed to go get saved. Now, I didn't run down the aisle every Sunday, but I did a lot um, every youth camp. And, you know, you'd have the camp speaker talking about, you'll be separated from God forever in a real place called hell. I mean, they're sharing the truth, but they were scaring me to death. Um, and I think some of that was because my dad left. So you have these, you know, well, my dad left. Why would God stay with me? My dad didn't love me enough to stay. Why would God love me enough to stay? Now, I didn't know how to say that at 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And I don't do a good job of explaining it now, but I at least have a few words to put to it now. And then we've already shared how that affected the marriage relationship. So you have to think through your whole life, everything that had major impact on you positively and everything that had major impact on you negatively because it does affect everything, including the way you communicate with your spouse. Um, so praying, the, the things that Miles has really, the way, Miles has changed us in every way, but the, the three things that we've talked through with you all and how it has changed us, majorly is our prayer life i mean miles changed our prayer life i mean now you have a guy who's traveled from arkansas to virginia and had asked you guys join us in praying that this kid gets potty trained i mean that's impacted me i mean i bring it up everywhere i go i get prayer warriors everywhere i go joining us in praying for that so he's changed our prayer life he's also changed our communication life you think we have more to, to talk about now than just chit-chat and casual conversation? Absolutely. Um, Miles takes us on a lot of deep conversations. We've, we've been so deep in talks on finances, planning for the future, retirement, 
Where will he live when we're unable to care for him? What will that look like? And in those conversations, you're covering a lot of stuff that a lot of couples fight about. Um, and then the third one is, is dating. Um, now, Jackie and I have known the importance of dating since we were dating. And I'm very thankful that early on in our marriage, we were encouraged to not stop dating. So even when it was just Jackie and I and, my, and, and Alex, um, we prioritized a date night. And when we made no money, I mean no money, working at a, a smaller church that they were doing their best, but it just wasn't enough for us to make it. You know, I'm working, Jackie's working, and we're still asking my parents for like $100 every month to not starve to death. Uh, you know, that kind of struggle. We, we knew that dating was important, so we found another church and the couple that was around our age that had little children, and we said, what if we watch your kids one night a week for free and you watch our little boy one night a week for free so that we can just go walk around the mall? Like, we didn't have money to go out to eat. We're like, we'll just go walk around the mall or walk around a park, but spend time together without Alex. And so we did that uh, with a couple for almost three years. And then the next state and city and church we ended up, we made just a, a little bit more, and we were able to, to get a teenager that was in the youth group to, to babysit Alex. And we would either go walk around or maybe go to McDonald's or Taco Bell or somewhere, you know, a big fancy date. Um, but we knew the importance of spending time together. And, and all throughout our journey, we've always done that. Well, when we brought Miles home, we really knew we have to have some alone time. And again, God knew what he's doing. He, he moved us back to Northwest Arkansas before we even got miles where my mom and stepdad live, where her mom and dad live, where her two sisters live, uh, where other grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins live, where we'd have some, some more built-in support. And for the last nine years, my mom and stepdad, who are just amazing, godly, godly people, um, watch Miles every Tuesday night. So Jackie and I date every single Tuesday night. We have, uh, and it makes it a, a whole lot, not, maybe not easier, but we, we prioritize it big time because we need it. We need it even more than we needed it before, and God provided people that can handle Miles because that's important when you have a, a kid like Miles. So you're not just going to get anybody to watch them. Uh, you wouldn't just trust anybody with them. So, you know, God knew that we needed my mom and stepdad so that Jackie and I could continue to date each other, engage with one another, connect with one another. And I always just say this, guys, we have to prioritize dating our spouse, dating our wives, because if we don't, someone or something else will. And I don't say that to scare you. I don't say it to for shock value. I say it because it's true. If you don't date your wife, someone, that would be the most extreme, and we pray against that, or something else will. And even the video they showed, I mean, it showed that. What was it, Petflix? I mean, she was completely disengaging and Petflixing instead of Netflixing or Huluing or Facebooking or Instagramming or online shopping or whatever. And guys, we're just as guilty. I'm just using the, the wife as the example. So... If, you're, if your desire is to connect with your wife, to connect with your spouse, make sure you're communicating well, getting better at it, asking for permission. Can we have this conversation tonight, tomorrow? Hey, I want to have this. Can we do that? But, but also connecting 
on the level that you did when you were pursuing her, like I did as a fifth grader, a seventh grader, a ninth grader, and then finally winning her over in 11th grade. I mean, I pursued her. We don't have time for it, but Jackie remembers me chasing, uh, not chasing her, she was standing on the bank fishing at a youth camp, and I didn't know she could see me because I thought I was hiding behind trees, but I could see her well. And so I'm like running, and then I'm like walking when she could see me, and then I'm running, and I'm like walking all cool, you know, and, because I just wanted to go down there and connect with her. I just wanted to spend time with this blonde head babe, you know, and uh, that I'd told my friend Clinton I was going to marry in the seventh grade. But when the hardest connection, I need to be doing that still at 44, chasing her down and making it a priority to, to date her. And my motivation is because I know that what I'm telling you is true. If I don't, something else will or someone else will. Well, and I'll tell you what that's meant to me over the years, especially, um, you know, there's been seasons of ministry where he would put in 80 plus hours a week. And when you're doing work for the kingdom, it's really easy to justify what you're doing. And so, but I knew I had Tuesday nights. And so um, I also know his work is really important to him. Most guys really feel satisfied and fulfilled in what they do. And so, um, so I know that's really important to him. So I was, it was easier for me to let him go to a football game on a Friday night or basketball game on a Thursday night to, to support some of the teenagers because I had Tuesday. And so Tuesday was mine. It also helped me feel really secure in our relationship because, I mean, nothing got in the way of our date night. And so sometimes when he wasn't good at using words to help me understand, like, that he's still in this or committed, because sometimes you're like, I mean, I am, but are you? I don't really know. Um, it also forced us on those, in those seasons where we're really not liking each other very well, it forced us to just to spend time together. And so we may not really, like, there was a lot of times where, well, I won't say a lot, that would be rude, but <laughs> sometimes there was a lot of times, a lot of seasons where I'm like, the last thing I want to do is go hang out with you by myself, because I don't really like you right now. Um, but after the evening's over, you feel your heart reconnects with your person. And so, so sometimes it's making a decision so that your feelings don't get in the way. Feelings are free, by the way. You are free to feel all the feels, um, and you shouldn't get um, punished for that. It's what you do with the feelings that, that matters. It's how you act in the feelings. It's what you do in that space. But you're free to feel what you feel. You just have to make sure that you're not acting out of it and it's not controlling how you behave or how you speak to each other. And so setting a date night um, and making sure that is safe um, protects us from ourselves a lot of times because they're sometimes left to ourselves. We're the last people that we want to hang out with. So, Yeah. I'll, I'm going to make one more comment, and then I think we're going to Q&A. Is that right? Um, and this is not our phrase. It's not our line. I wish it was. Because if it was, I'd tweet it and quote myself. Um, but one of our marriage mentors, Jimmy Evans, which um, if, if you ever want to read a, a great marriage book, there's a bunch of them. The one I mentioned, uh, You and Me Forever by Lisa and Francis Chan is an outstanding marriage book. Uh, marriage on the Rock by Jimmy Evans is very, very good as well. And uh, Jackie and I have been to almost all of the trainings that, that Jimmy Evans does for marriage ministry. He and his wife head up a marriage ministry. And um, we consider him a mentor of ours. And he, here's what he says. Um, marriage done God's way has a 100% success rate. Marriage done God's way has a 100% success rate. That's good news for you and for me. Um, now, here's the thing. Marriage done your way 
does not have a 100% chance success rate. Marriage done your parents' way, your grandparents' way, unless, of course, they were doing it completely God's way, then, then that has a 100% chance of success rate. And then the other thing, and I said it was one, but I'm going to make it two. The other thing that Jimmy Evans has really taught Jackie and I is any major decision that a couple makes with God is the right decision every time. So every decision that Keith and Jackie make with God, selling our home and moving to a lake home, adopting a little boy, going back to First Baptist Church Springdale as a youth pastor 10 years ago, those were, those were decisions that we did not take lightly. There was fasting and praying that was involved in all of the decisions that I just told you. We surrounded ourselves with prayer warriors in all of those decisions. And even though we love living in our lake home and we love being back at our home church, cross church, um, and we, we love Miles, but that, that's the one that you know has been weaved all throughout our talk this weekend. That's been a difficult one, but because we prayed about it, we fasted about it, we had other people praying and fasting with us and for us, and we know that God said to do it, it's the right decision, even though it wasn't an easy decision. So marriage done God's way, 100% success rate every time. And any and every decision that you and your spouse make together with God is the right decision. So we'll stop there. Any uh, questions about any of it? We've covered a lot. Um, and you can ask about the breakout stuff too because the people who led those are in the room so they can, they can speak to those. So anything that you've heard or seen or watched on the screens, maybe about some of the songs that we sang, like Jackie said, I mean, there's power in the words of those songs. I mean, even non-believers know music speaks to people emotionally. It's, it speaks to the soul. It speaks to us as people. Maybe there was something you heard Jackie say when, when we're standing there at First Baptist Church Springdale, You'll hear me refer to it as both because it's Cross Church now. We changed the name. It's the same church. Uh, we just celebrated 149 years last week. And so next year at this time will be 150 years uh, of being a church. And we're excited about that. We're already talking and planning to celebrate that. But Jackie's standing there on a Sunday morning and we're all singing, You are good, you are good. And she's thinking, He's not good to me. To the point it made her run out of the church service. You know, one of the pastor's wife is like, get out of my way, get, because it was, I mean, she's having to knock people out of the way to, to leave the pew and get the heck out of there. So I want you to know, you can ask anything, even if it has to do with the songs that we sang and the lyrics that were in those songs. So anything that's on your heart or on your mind that we as a group can, because again, it doesn't have to be just Jackie and I answering, that we as a group can, can help each other walk through and walk out. Let's do that. Yeah, there's a um, a picture that I have that's from a counseling center, and it's um and it's start it says start, and it has like a, several bullets, and it's like you know offense, anger, and you work your way, and then if you go up this way, it ends with the 
with a tree that's bearing fruit of love and joy and peace and forgiveness. Um, if you go the other way, which is you hold the offense, you let it take root, bitterness, resentment, um, then it, it still produces fruit. And it's like um, critical spirit, anger, all these different things. And so that was huge for me when I looked at the trees. I do everything backwards. So I look at the trees and I'm like, man, like I feel like this one is more of who I am. I mean, it forces you to be honest with yourself. And like, obviously, I've allowed something to take root because this is the fruit I'm producing. And so sometimes when we've been a believer a long time, we just think the fruit of the Spirit's what comes out of us. And it's not. It's the fruit of the Spirit's what come out of you whenever you, whenever you plant yourself whenever you study God's word and you let your roots grow deep so that they can bring in the nutrients. And you can plant a tree today, and it may not bear fruit for a few years, but when it bears fruit, it bears the fruit of what is being, what is being drawn out of it. And so if you want the personality of Jesus to shine, which is what the fruit of the Spirit is, then you have to spend so much time with him that nothing else has space to come out but except for him and his love. Yeah, I'll share something about forgiveness, too. I didn't know if we'd have time, but since people aren't just bombarding us with questions. Uh, I've shared a little bit about my story about my dad leaving when I was in second grade and all of that. Um, my dad never found what he was looking for uh, in and out of relationships his whole, I mean, his whole life. Um, I had three stepmoms. I had a lot of, my dad had a lot of live-in girlfriends. And you got to remember, I'm going like every other weekend. Uh, so I was exposed to all of that, um, alcoholic my whole life, um, drugs on and off throughout my life. And then five years ago, um, got involved with meth and, um, that spiraled quickly within one year. Uh, my dad owned two businesses, lost both of those businesses in less than a year, lost his home and found himself homeless in Northwest Arkansas, which really put Jackie and I on a journey. What, you know, what do you do when you're a Christian, when you're in ministry, you love the Lord, you love people, um, but your dad has made choices like this that's put him in this situation. Um, so we made the decision not to bring him into our home, mainly because of Miles. Um, Alex was still at home with us at that time too, but we had children in the home and thought, we just can't do that. Um, so, you know, I'm living in Springdale, Arkansas with a dad who's homeless in Springdale, Arkansas. Um, and people don't even under, like, it's such a small town, like homelessness is different there. You, there's like, you don't live under a bridge, you live in a shed. Like, it's just different, you know, or you get a tent and go to the woods and you live in a tent in the woods. My dad was living in a, a storage building and, um, he ended up dying three years of, uh, meth, could not beat it, it beat him. Uh, so two years ago, I preached my dad's funeral and uh, when I was 12 years old James and I were so blessed to grow up in the church that we grew up in and to have the youth pastors that we had and the mentors that we had when I was 12 years old our, our youth pastor basically did a message on a Wednesday night about forgiveness and and he just said some of you all have people in your life you need to forgive who've never asked you to and they're probably never going to ask you to well I'm a 12 year old kid sitting there and I'm like my dad and uh, I'm like I've got to forgive my dad and so at the end of the service, he opened up the, you know, the, the altar and our worship guy was up there, you know, leading worship. I wish I could remember what he was singing, but I don't remember. But I know, you know, people were on the stage singing and, and I went forward to, you know, the front of the room where the little stairs were and 
uh, knelt down and basically the best way a 12-year-old boy knows how was like, Jesus, I forgive my dad. Because of what my youth pastor said, I want that. I want to be able to move forward in my walk with you because if I don't forgive my dad, I can't move forward in my walk with you. I mean, I'm sure it was the most simple, like just plain prayer ever, but my heart meant it. I mean, I meant it. And uh, so I forgave my dad that Wednesday night, and um, my dad never asked me to forgive him uh, until in those last few years of his life, he really, you know, he was a broken person, and uh, he asked us to forgive him, and uh, he ended up writing a letter uh, that I do, I still have. He wrote a letter to me and my sister, uh, and Jackie actually found it. We were not supposed to find it until after my dad died. He knew as a preacher when he died, I would find his Bible. That I, He knew that I would want his Bible. So he had written this handwritten letter to me and my sister and put it in his Bible. Well, we actually let my dad stay with us for two nights during this crazy time of his life. Um, and Jack, he, had a, he had that Bible with him. Like He kept it with him all of the time the last year of his life. And... Uh, Jackie said, can I see your Bible? And my dad said, yeah. And so he hands it to her, and she's looking through there, and she finds this note. Well, when my dad saw Jackie with this folded-up piece of paper, he freaked out. He's like, give me that. You can't see that. And she's like, what? What?" She has a great relationship with him. She's like, what? What? Why can't I see it? What's the problem, Doug? What's the problem? And he's like, that's for later. That's for later. Well, she just kept being like, can I read it? Please let me read it. And he said, yeah, you, you can read it. So... Uh, she read so it was really neat because we I got to hear it and see it before he died instead of after and he basically just said I'm so sorry for making the decision to leave when I did and I've regretted it forever I can't talk about it yeah he he said you know um, don't don't do what I did don't follow my path um, you know do walk his, his verbiage was different, but he, you know, he had just said, you know, walk the path of Jesus. I took the other road, and it's not good. Um, and so we know, like, um, as hard as it was to walk that out, um, it was really, um, I, I got saved as a youth pastor's wife, and I got saved because I watched my husband love a very unlovable man. And that was the first time in my life. I went forward as a, as a junior high girl I grew up Catholic, and I had heard, you know, and I'm in a Baptist church, and I'm, I'm being told I'm going to go to hell. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I have never heard this before, and this is not, this is scary. Don't want to do that, so what do I need to do? And so um, they're like, you know, pray this prayer, do this stuff, here's what, how you live. And I'm like, literally, literally, like an outline of how I can be a good person, I was born for this. And so, um, so I just lived the Christian life because it made sense to my brain. It made me feel good about myself, and so not realizing that, that there's a lot more to it um, than just being scared of hell and then doing a lot of good things. And so as we are doing life together, and I'm just, I'm always, like, on him, like, how can you love him? How can you forgive him? Like, seriously, he's, like, the worst man in the world. Um, I just do. Jesus forgave me. I have to forgive him. Um, if I would do it for a homeless man, I would do it for him. If I'm going to buy a homeless man gas, I'm going to put it in my for my dad. So watching Keith Harmon love his dad is the reason that I end up giving my life to Jesus because God just kept using that as, you know, Jackie, that's the exact same way I love you because I have never been shown that kind of love before by an, another human. And so I had a really hard time translating that to Jesus. So, um, 
So him making that decision and living that out has literally changed our lives. Well, that's nice, and I, I mean, I appreciate that. But, again, the goal was mm -hmm. to be obedient to what I believe God was calling me to do. So it, it was really, really very, very nice that I got to, to see the letter, read the letter. And I, I keep the letter. Uh, I show it to men all the time because in my role at the church, I have men in my office, not every week, but I would say every month that say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving. Um, I'm not happy. Surely God wants me to be happy. And I'm like, I've heard this before. Uh, I heard this in second grade. Uh, and uh, so I literally, I'm, I've made copies. I just photocopied copies of this letter that my dad wrote that, that I was talking about a minute ago. And I give it, I give them a photocopy of that letter. And I'm like, man, I just don't want you to ever have to write one of these. I said, I, I don't, I mean, I can, all I can tell you is what the Bible says about marriage. I, I can tell you what it says about divorce. And, and there are reasons to get divorced. They're in the, I mean, the, God gives us reasons that we can get divorced. Um, I said, I can tell you what the Bible says. But I don't want you to ever have to write one of these. And sometimes they read it and it works. And sometimes they read it and go, man, I'm sorry that you and your sister had to go through that. Um, I'm glad that you at least had some sort of closure before you had to bury your dad, but that's not me. And one of the men that looked me in the face and said that is living it to the T to today. Uh, and I still see, I mean, I see that guy once a week. Uh, he owns a restaurant. I go to his restaurant and eat and try to keep our relationship built. Um, but he's living that letter because his kids hate him. And I, I mean, I hate to say that. They hate his guts. And his kids told him, Dad, if you leave, because I mean, this was, I mean, our whole church was involved in this, this one. It was big. And his kids told him, if you leave, I'm going to hate you. And he would, this man would come see me. And he's like, I think they'll get over it. I think they'll, and I was like, they will never get over I was like, my parents were divorced. You, you can survive it. You can even thrive on the other side of it, but you don't get over it. Those aren't the right words to use. And uh, I mean, this, this guy is, I mean, he is struggling um, because his kids didn't get over it and they're not going to get in. And they are still, it's been eight years. They're very upset, very angry and uh, making their dad pay the price every day and and you say well aren't you telling that boy that he needs to forgive of course I mean I'm trying to regurgitate everything that our youth pastor poured into us that forgiveness isn't for your dad man it's for you and uh but it's it's tough mm -hmm. so we um you know we started talking about miles and just how pain of this world affects us affects our lives and all of us walk through different stuff you know you're your issues, your stuff, your pain is different than ours. Um, you know, Keith's family growing up, there, God doesn't orchestrate that, but God uses that stuff. And then sometimes he does take you through the fire because he wants you to grow and learn. And so um, trying to reconcile the rest of our lives that God has re literally, we've had to sort of let some dreams die and just know these dreams are never coming true which is devastating, and you grieve on different levels, but that you come to a place where you want God to breathe new dreams into your life for your kids and for your future. And so one um, uh, person in the Bible, he's my best friend, he doesn't know it, but one day when we're in heaven, he's going to find out that we are the best of friends. But John the Baptist is like um, like my guy. Um, Y'all know him? I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so 
um, he's, he is, um, I, I just adore him and his journey, but, you know, he, he says this phrase in Matthew 11, um, and he says he's in jail, he's about to be beheaded, and he says, um, sends word with his disciples to, back to Jesus saying, are you the one, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Which I'm like, buddy, like, you know he's the one. From the womb, you knew he was the one. You leaped. Like, when you saw him coming down the bank, you were like, this is the guy. You were telling your disciples, go follow him. You, you've lived your whole life declaring who the Messiah is. So that question is really weird to me. And so, um, so that's how I read the Bible. Most of it's like, that doesn't make sense. That's a really weird question. And so then I have to figure it out. But um, so Jesus sends word back saying, you know, um, the things that you've heard are true. People are being, um, the blind can see, the lame could walk. I'm literally healing all these people. Um, and then he says, blessed is he who does not lose faith because of me. And so then after the, his disciples go back to tell John the Baptist this, um, Jesus tells the crowd, you know, of all, the, of all the people born on this earth, like he's the greatest. And so that used to make me mad. Like, why would he tell them where he could hear and say, by the way, Jesus just said, yes, he's doing all these things for people he doesn't know, You're and he loves you, but he doesn't, he's not coming for you. You're, you're going to be beheaded tomorrow. Jesus is not coming and stepping into the space. But, boy, he thinks you're amazing. Like, he didn't get that, but. you. And so I used to be like, oh, why didn't you let him hear it? Like, just let him know. And so um, in that moment, I'm studying this, and I'm reading it, and, and Jesus is speaking to my heart, saying, you know, Jackie, Miles, I know what Miles in your family has caused, and I know what Miles has done to you personally, and um, I'm not rescuing you. You need to hear, I'm not coming for you. I'm not changing this. He may never be potty trained. And so Keith prays for potty trained. I, I sit in a different space because I need to right now, but, you know, I'm not coming for you. Your only job in this moment is to not lose faith in who I am because of what I've allowed for you to happen. And so, um, but then I would still argue with him, like, why, you know, why didn't you tell John the, like, and he's like, because the next day he's beheaded and he's standing in heaven with my father and God himself got to speak those words over him. He didn't need to hear it secondhand. Um, and so I just say to you, whatever you're walking through, whether it's part of your marriage or just your personal life, like, um, God is so much bigger than your stuff. Um, and he has a purpose for your stuff if you let it, if you let him um, work it out. Um, and our job is just to love each other so that we can show the love of Jesus to the world and then face our stuff, don't run from it so that, so that our faith is stronger. And our job is just to literally not lose faith in Jesus because of what we're walking through. Yeah, good word. Anything else before we wrap it up? on Wednesdays called Healthy Living so he's dealing with some emotional issues and so statement he made this past Wednesday some of the folks in here are in this class something to the effect of um, don't let your actions be driven by your feelings but instead act until you feel and so what, what I'm hearing you say is actually going back to maybe you said in the worship service and you can't sing the songs because they're not how you feel about God your perspective of God is is 
is different than that because your feelings are different. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a real struggle for, for most people, even though we want to put a good religious front so that everybody sees that we're, we're fine, but on the inside we're deteriorating. How do you continue to keep your, yourself moving forward and acting in faith based on what you believe and what you know of God from his word rather than being overwhelmed and succumbing to your feelings? How, how do you keep that balance there? I'll, I'll quickly answer and then let her give a much better answer. I do what I've told y'all I do. I put on the armor every morning. I spend time in God's word every morning. Um, I pray throughout the day. I do the heart guard stuff. And uh, kind of what you were saying, I, I just, I hate to use the, the phrase go through the motions, but that's what I do. I go through the motions and let my feelings catch up. I do what I know is right, whether I feel like it or not. And some of that's probably personality driven. I'm sure it's personality driven because some people hear that and they're like, I could never do that. that you know, and, and I'm a rule follower. So if you tell me, hey, if you do this, 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 and this, you'll have a wonderful marriage. I'm going to do this, 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 and this because I want a wonderful marriage. And um, if, you know, if you tell me do these 10 things and at the end of your life, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'll do those 10 things to the very best of my ability. But again, I'm admitting some of that is personality driven. Um, God designed me that way, but I just keep, I just keep reading the word. I keep praying. I keep putting the armor on. Um, I have accountability. I have men in my life that hold me accountable. Um, I keep dating my, I just keep, keep doing it. Yeah. And for me, like that used to be harder. Um, when, when I, when you practice something consistently and it's a, it's a even flow through your life, you don't find yourself in those spaces as much, but one thing is I stay. I don't run out of the room anymore. Um, if I don't feel it, then then just like I do release with my husband or other people, I, I'll even tell God, like, I'm frustrated with you. I'm I'm disappointed that this is what you have for me. Like, he's, he can handle it. He already knows how you feel. So sometimes saying it and then asking, asking him to search my heart and then show me those, show me why I'm struggling with that. Usually, you know, there's something that he'll show me, but whether it's a song that we're singing, worship is the best way to get your heart ready for God's word. Um, and so if you're struggling sitting down reading, then you put on some worship music that really speaks to your heart. There's one song in particular, this is embarrassing. Sometimes I, I don't do this, y'all don't even know that. This is not what I do, this is what Keith does, but he makes me do this with him. Um, and so that's true, isn't it? True statement. Yes. Um, so but I tell her she's so good. She's so much better than I am. So I just like sitting here on the stool and listening. But, you know, I don't know if y'all are, I'm a socially awkward introvert. So I don't know if there's any of my people out there. But um, so I just can mess everything up. But one thing that I do, so I also have to tell embarrassing stuff about myself because I'm a very weird person to you and I'm okay with that. But um, so there's a one song in particular that we have a friend who wrote and it's called I Adore You. And it's literally just speaking those words to Jesus about how we adore him and that we come before him. And so I literally do when I'm not feeling it, like feeling it. Um, something about that song makes me like feel like a little girl dancing before my father. And so I literally do like a ballet routine um, to Jesus and by myself. And so a couple of nights ago, Keith walks in our bedroom and I'm like literally like, you know, do it. And he was like, he doesn't even ask questions anymore after two years. I was getting ready to say, and I didn't say a word. Uh-uh. He just turned around and walked out. <laughs> and used to that would have made me be like, what in the world? 
But I've just learned, like, there's times where I just need, like, I'm, I have an audience of one, and right now this is what I'm doing. And so um, I just, like, I, so I literally was like, um, I'm dancing for Jesus. I need you to leave. <laughs> and he was like, okay. So. Yeah, so that, that's the answer. So dance. That's the answer, dance before the <laughs> Lord. I was hoping she'd be more like David and dance naked before the Lord. But <laughs> Not all of your dreams can come true. Not all of your dreams can come true. Only some of them can. Only some of them can. That's another talk, and we are out of time, but we... <laughs> We do have a talk that we do that, that encourages wives. Like, your husband, you're the only naked body your husband is allowed to see without sinning and touch and play with and all that stuff. If you want your husband to be, a pure, to, to, to be pure and to, you want to support him in that, you've got to let him see, your, see you naked. And so one thing I do every day is I make sure Keith sees me naked so that I'm the, the, this is the last body he sees naked when he leaves the house. And when he comes home, I've forgotten because I don't think that way. <laughs> I haven't forgotten. But he's come home and he was like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And that, but that helps me remember, like, this is an ongoing thought process yeah. in his brain all day, every day. So, um, but just knowing that I'm the only person, it makes me more um, compassionate for that space that his brain, I mean, it's just the way he's wired. And it's a gift. Ooh, we don't want to hear that. It really is a gift because... Our guys, you know, used to their hunter and gatherers, and they would go out, but something draws them back. Something draws them back, and it's us. It's their need for us. And so we're sort of their reset button. But also, we're a gift to them because we're so complicated. You could do this today, and, and it might get you somewhere, but tomorrow, you're just like, yeah, that's not Yeah, I work. did that one time, so I thought, I figured it out. The next day, she's like, quit touching work. me. I don't know. So we're just, we're so complicated that they're just like, I don't really know what to do. I got to try this again. So we just. Look at the lawn. <laughs> Look what I did. So. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, how about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach Colossians 3 in the morning, and then we're supposed to do a parenting talk. We'll try to rush through the parenting stuff and get back to the sex stuff. We'll talk about how you got to the parenting part. Yeah, yeah. How, we, how did you get to that? So The best sex talks are in the jack. Are you cougar now? You have a cougar? 